Hey, what's up, everyone? We're back with another episode of the Sons of Sequoia podcast, our 10th episode. SOS 10 already. And uh, today we're going to be discussing informal fallacies. So I think we'll just pull up the Wikipedia and take a look at what informal fallacies are and then go through what some of them are and provide some examples to you. And we'll learn and you can learn. And we'll all have a great time. Sounds good to me. Um, yeah, uh, I pulled up. Uh, it's not Wikipedia. What is this thing? I pulled something up. A list of for, a list of informal fallacies. Well, I think it's a good thing to talk about. Why are we talking about informal fallacies? Uh, well, I think it's important because uh, today uh, and also. In, in, in history, uh, people normally make arguments, uh, and usually their convincing arguments, if you actually analyze it, really is just chuck full of informal fallacies. And uh, the reason they do that is because they work. Uh, they, they work, uh, they're effective, and people use them all the time. And usually they use them without even knowing it. Uh, and so they'll keep using it because it works. And so when you start looking at informal fallacies, you, uh, I think the value in looking at the, uh, at the fallacious arguments is, uh, oh, wow, you know, uh, this could also be taken another way. <laughs> and, uh, and the conclusion maybe is not as strong as the argument makes it out to be. So I, I think it's a good thing to talk about informal fallacies. I, th I think it's a good reason uh, to have a whole podcast uh, just to talk about them. It's valuable. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking up the Wikipedia, so I have the why. Why do we focus on informal fallacies? Well, uh, I'm looking at the definition for formal fallacy because I'm on the Wikipedia page for fallacies. Let me, I can share it. Uh, um, so a formal fallacy is a flaw in the logic. Uh, which renders the argument invalid. So because the logic is wrong, the argument is wrong. Uh, let me see. Let's, let's take a look at this. Should I just read it out loud so that everyone can see it? A formal fallacy, sure. a deductive fallacy, or logical fallacy, or non sequitur, does not follow, is a flaw in the structure of deductive argument, which renders the argument invalid. The flaw can be neatly expressed in the standard system of logic. Such an argument is always considered to be wrong. That doesn't mean that the premises and the conclusion are wrong. That means the argument is wrong because the logic is bad. The presence of the formal fallacy does not imply anything about the argument's premises or conclusion. Both may actually be true or may even be more probable as a result of the argument. But the deductive argument is still invalid because the conclusion does not follow from the premises and the manner described. By extension, an argument can contain a formal fallacy, even if the argument is not a deductive one. For instance, an inductive argument that incorrectly applies uh, principles of probability or causality can be said to commit a formal fallacy. Now, this says dubious, discuss, in the Wikipedia. Uh, Since deductive arguments depend on formal properties and inductive arguments do not, formal fallacies apply only to deductive arguments. That's another school of thought. Uh, logical form such as A and B is independent of any particular conjunction of meaningful propositions. Logical form alone can guarantee that, given true premises, a con true conclusion must follow. However, formal logic makes no such guarantee. If any premise is false, the conclusion can either be true or false. Any formal error or lo logical fallacy similarly invalidates the deductive guarantee. Both the argument and all of its premises must be true for a statement to be true. The term logical fallacy is in itself self-contradictory because logic refers to valid reasoning, whereas fallacy is the use of poor reasoning. Therefore, the term formal fallacy is preferred. In informal discourse, however, logical fallacy is used to mean an argument which is problematic for any reason. The term <laughs> non sequitur denotes a general formal fallacy, often meaning one which does not belong to any named subclass of formal fallacies, like affirming the consequent. Um, 
So yeah. I think that's a very good summary of, yeah. Um, Cause formal is structural and, and informal is content and uh, substantive error of the, uh, of the inductive argument, the inference. So we can do our first example, the ecological fallacy. Um, it's committed when one draws an inference from data based on the premise that all qualities observed for groups necessarily hold for individuals. If countries with more Protestants tend to have higher suicide rates, then Protestants must be more likely to commit suicide. That's a formal fallacy called the ecological fallacy. Um, let's discuss that. Why would that not necessarily be true? The, the the one you just stated, yeah, yeah, well, because the uh, there is no causality between uh, Protestants, uh, the the connection between Protestants and, and suicide is just that there's more Protestants uh, with uh, where there are higher suicide rates. That may not be that they're they're the ones committing suicide. <laughs> yes, that's it. May, it may be they're the ones who report it more, and non-Protestants don't really report it. No, no, so, no, no. I think that it's saying. I think you had it right the first time. It's not about reporting. It's countries that have with more Protestants tend to have higher suicide rates. So if you're eighty percent Protestant, but they're extremely draconian and they're beating down and subjugating populations, and those populations have a high suicide rate, and it makes the whole suicide rate high, then the Protestants might not be the ones committing suicide, but they have a high suicide rate in their country. Um, that's just one That's just one causality. Yeah. There could be a lot of causes. Mm -hmm. uh, just because there's more Protestants, that does not directly relate to uh, suicide rates. Uh, that's just something that's observed. There could be a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons other than that. That's what I'm saying. It could be they're they're like they like you said the culture that they create or uh, Protestants report. Uh, if anyone dies, they just say it's suicide. Maybe that's just how Protestants do it. Or uh, it's kind of like uh, um, the uh, the barnyard uh, when roosters crow always has the sun come up. So therefore, the sun comes up. Because of the rooster, it's mm -hmm. not causality, and just because countries with more Protestants uh, have more suicide rates doesn't necessarily mean that the Protestants are committing the suicide. So, I'm trying to There's, grasp the. Um, we can get into it now. So there, there is a fault in reasoning there, right? The, to me. The, implication on causality because they're saying must be more likely to commit suicide yes well where's where's the connection just because this exists doesn't mean there's a connection to me it's causality that um, just because just because they have more protestants doesn't mean that they're the ones committing suicide you know, that that's a stretch to me yes um so, but we can see that fault in reasoning. So we're going to go to informal fallacy. And that's not a fault in reasoning. That's a fault in the logical form of the argument. And that's where we'll get into the meat and potatoes of our discussion. Okay. So, so should I just read this? Yeah, sure. Um, in contrast to a formal fallacy, an informal fallacy originates in a reasoning error other than a flaw in the logical form of the argument. A deductive argument containing an informal fallacy may be formally valid, but still remain rationally unpersuasive. Nevertheless, informal fallacies apply to both deductive and non-deductive arguments. Through, though the form of argument may be relevant, fallacies of this type are the types of mistakes in reasoning that arise from the mishandling of the content of the propositions constituting the argument. That's where we see what happens on cable news channels every day. <laughs> right. It's a foreign, right. it's a informal fallacy fest every day when people argue with each other on the news. That's right. So I think um, you have a list of them. I have a list of them. Do you want to 
give me one and I'll try to and sort of explain it to me and then I'll try to give an example of it. Okay, I, I just pulled up a list here. Mm -hmm. I think what I was doing, I was looking at the content, not necessarily the structure. Mm -hmm. I see. I was I was looking at the informal part of it, not the formal part. Uh, anyway, because after you read that second part, I went back and realized what I was doing. Uh, actually, before I get into this, I think this is important because uh, I, I remember for for the longest time, I've always said these kinds of logical structure and also formal informal this should be taught in school yeah uh children uh, not school college school k through six uh they should be thinking about if this then that if this then that or or if a and b then they should be thinking of structure they should be thinking of logic uh they should be thinking of these things and it should be taught instead of uh, how to one plus one is two because that's that should be taught too, but logic should be taught. Anyway, uh, yeah, there's. I, I pulled up. Uh, I don't know what type of. This goes through a bunch of informal fallacies, and uh, they say the fallacies divide into formal and informal. The formal is the structural error, like you were talking about, the structure of the argument, uh, not necessarily the, the the truth of the argument, of the parts of the argument. But the informal, uh, they say, is a substantive error. Uh, in other words, the substance of what you're saying. And uh, this divides the uh, the uh, informal fallacies up into uh, three different categories, distinct categories. One, sufficiency. Is there enough evidence to make the conclusion more likely than not? Uh, you can take a, an esoteric, it's kind of like an anecdote, and then all, then all of a sudden, well, everyone's like that. Uh, relevance is the evidence relevant to the conclusion. It could be irrelevant, but then you can make that connection, which is informal fallacy. And clarity is the evidence unambiguous. So this is what they talk about. And then they come down the different ones. Um, then they start talking about uh, fallacies of relevance. Uh, and they have the Latin here. But uh, uh, appeal to fear. Appeal to fear, like uh, there's a caravan coming. There's a caravan coming and it'll be at the southern border on election eve. And if you vote wrong in the election, the caravan will take over. I mean, is that a fallacy or is that? You're going to lose your jobs. Yeah, they'll take your jobs and they'll move in next door. And yeah. the other guy, I mean, but is that a fallacy, fallacy or is that just lying to people? Like, <laughs> you know, the uh, the uh, all those all those people that are not with us, they're evil. So you better not. So you better look out for them because they're going to come and uh, and do horrible things to you and your family. Mm hmm. So therefore, and then they have their argument. So they're appealing to fear. They're afraid of that happening, and then they're connecting them to under so that that fear is not going to happen to them. In other words, it's it's not connected, but it's informal. Yeah, to me, it's very informal. Voting for me will be nothing. Will do nothing to. Uh, or the the reason I'm saying you should be afraid, and the remedy I'm proposing, voting for me, are completely disconnected. <laughs> That's right. But the argument is connecting them. Mm -hmm. If they're afraid, then they'll say, yeah, yeah, vote for them because if we don't, this is going to happen to us. Yeah. Which there's no connection, but you can make people believe that. I have one. I have a pretty good example of it, too. Uh, it's a, the relevance fallacy. Uh, it's a broad class of informal fallacies, general, generally, generically represented by missing the point or presenting an argument which may be sound, but fails to address the issue in question. Do you see this? And uh, mm -hmm. I have a great example. Um, there's this guy, he's a University of Toronto professor. His name is Jordan Peterson. And he wrote a book, 12 Rules for Life. And of course, you know, you think someone that wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life would have their life together. Well, he spent most of last year in a Serbian 
rehabilitation facility detoxing from tranquilizers. So I don't know if I should be taking his 12 rules for life as uh, gospel. But that's not the point. Now, this is, see, what I just did was a fallacy. It was an ad hominem attack. Uh, I said, this guy clearly doesn't have his life together. Now let's talk about his argument. So I'm trying to weaken his argument by attacking him uh, because he's a, you know, pill-popping druggie (laughs) who ended up in rehab. No, but he was asked his feelings about gay adoption. You know, if two gay parents want to go and adopt children, should they be allowed to? Or if they want to have children, you know? And he says, well, studies have shown that outcomes for children in two-parent households are much higher than outcomes for children in one-parent households. So I think we really need to seriously look at this issue and decide whether or not we should allow these people to adopt. And so what he did was, even if you have two gay parents, there are no studies that show that outcomes for individuals with two gay or lesbian parents are worse. But what he did was he took a a study, which is irrelevant to the argument. Should two gay people be allowed to adopt someone? And he said, well, I want to look at a study where you're a single parent. And that's proof that two gay people shouldn't be allowed to adopt someone because outcomes are worse. And it's sort of like, that's not the same. You know, being a single parent isn't the same as being two gay or lesbian parents. So that's a, it's a relevance fallacy, right? Right. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Missing the point. Actually, there's there, this this list here has has eight of these things. OK, let's go into them. You want me to just list them off? And sure. Just, and one might you might think of like that's a great example. Uh, appealing to fear, appealing to pity, appealing to popularity, like ad, uh, appealing to the people's popularity. Uh, uh, argument against the individual person ad hominem, uh, red herring, introducing irrelevant information to draw attention away from the thesis as you were talking about, uh, missing the point, drawing the wrong conclusion from the evidence. Uh, so you have this evidence and then you have a different conclusion. That's the red, that's the, uh, missing the point. Red herring is, is drawing attention away from the thesis. Okay. Yeah. And the I mean, straw the, man. The red herring, right. it's like, you know. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's these people, they stormed the Capitol, they killed a cop. But what about Hunter Biden's laptop? That's <laughs> that's a red herring type argument, right? Exactly, yeah. That's what, uh, to me. That's what me this country is. needs to be focused on is Hunter Biden. Not the yeah. fact that a gang of angry people are breaking down the walls of the Capitol. No, Hunter Biden is a real issue here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, keep going. Uh, straw man oversimplifying the opponent's arguments to defeat it, you know, like, oh, yeah, well, just because people can walk down the uh, just just because people can walk uh, and just walk down the street. Why should we uh, uh, do something? It's oversimplifying the argument about uh, people rushing and and storming the, the Capitol. Well, all they did was just walk down to the street. Okay. The other is accident, misapplying a general rule to a specific case. Now, there's a general rule, but then to specific case specifics are not necessarily fall in line with the general rule. So it's so by accident. So there, it's not relevant because it's a general rule, but this is a specific case. You know, it's kind of like so, it's kind of like the uh, going back to our movie in uh, Movie Tuesday uh, is that uh, uh, the. Um, uh, cider house rules. Uh, it says uh, sometimes you have to break the rules to do what's right. Mm-hmm. To me, that that falls into that category of uh, 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 misapplying a general rule to a specific case. That's what the rules are. So we do it. Now wait a minute. This rule does not doesn't doesn't apply to this particular case. You know. So I have a whole movie on that, which was, which was good. He went away. He left home to learn that in the rule. Yeah. But then I, again, those those are eight. And I think that you're conditioned to feel like the rules are morality. But sometimes the rules and morality, it's a Venn diagram. You know, here's the rules. Here's morality. And there's things in morality that are moral to do that are outside of the rules. 
So sometimes you got to break the rules to do what's right. It's not. Sure. Uh, but when you're raised, you know, as a child, you're supposed you're raised to respect authority and to think of the rules as an avatar for what's right. And like that movie Cider House Rules, he goes away from home and he says, well, this is against the rules, but I think I have to do it because it's what's right. It's the right thing to do. And he does it. He learns it. So Homer, Homer learns, you know, this is, this is not what I, this is not the rules, but it's the right thing to do. So he does it, which is, which is a good movie, but it's making that point, which is, which is good. But it's so, it's very, very true. Getting back to children, we teach children. You're right. Uh, follow the rules. You go to school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. It's following the rules, uh, doing what you're supposed to do. Sit in this chair, uh, listen to the teacher, uh, don't talk, uh, this kind of thing. And uh, uh, that's good. Discipline is good. But I think sometimes children will see discipline as a surrogate for morality. This is what's right to do. Well, it's what you're supposed to do for reasons. But then uh, I think we have to be careful that uh, we don't teach children that when they grow up, if I do the right thing, then everything's going to be right. And that's not necessarily true. It's not. Yeah, you're not doing it for the consequence. You're doing it because it's right. Right. Uh, I found an interesting article. I'll share it. Ignoratio Elenchi. One of the fallacies identified by Aristotle in the Organon. In a broader sense, he asserted that all fallacies are a form of the Ignoratio Elenchi. What is that? It's ignorance of the nature of refutation. To refute an assertion, we must prove it's contradictory, the proof, consequently, of a proposition which stood in any other relation than that to the original, would be ignoratio alenki. So I am required to prove a certain conclusion. I prove not that, but one which is likely to be mistaken for it, and in that, lies the fallacy. For instance, instead of proving that this person has committed an atrocious fraud, you prove that he, the fraud he is accused of is atrocious. <laughs> yep. Uh, this list has uh, ignoratio lynchi as missing the point, drawing a conclusion, uh, the wrong conclusion from the evidence, but Aristotle, I guess, described it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So it's like saying... 75 million people believe there was voter fraud, so we can't certify the election. And you say, yes, but we looked into it and there was no voter fraud. And they say, yeah, but 75 million people believe it, so Donald Trump needs to be president again. And you say, that's not how it works. And it's like, but look, I have evidence. You don't have any evidence of voter fraud. I have evidence that 75 million people believe there was voter fraud. I have evidence of that. And it's like, that's not evidence of voter fraud. Yep. That's, uh, I, it, we, we talked before about the difference between truth and belief. Yeah. You can believe something that's not true, but just because you believe it doesn't mean it is true. Well, I've been watching, uh, I know this is pretty political, because you get into informal fallacies, and I think you could find informal fallacies, too, already in... Um, Arguments the Biden administration is making. Uh, you know, if you watch conservative media, they'll say they want, uh, they say they want unity, but they bring these Republican senators in with their plan and they say, no, we think we're going to go with our plan. How is that unity? You know? And so he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth and he's just doing whatever he wants. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's sort of elections have consequences, but I mean, maybe saying that he wants unity is more lip service than anything. Or maybe sort of entertaining 10 GOP lawmakers at the White House is his version of unity. Like, could you imagine Trump calling uh, Schumer and Pelosi to the White House to discuss one-on-one with them their idea for what the policy of the United States should be? I mean, it's difficult to imagine that. But is that a fallacy? Can you imagine the other guy doing it? Therefore, what what the current guy doing is right. It's, it's not necessarily true, right? 
Well, when you talk about unity, that's a different discussion. What does that mean? Uh, and uh, how broad and deep is that term? Uh, and so that, I think that's a discussion for another time. Uh, the fallacy is, is that, well, if you want unity, then agree with me. Yes. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to bend. So if we're going to be united on this, you have to come to my side. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a word for that, too. Like, if you want, if you want unity, then do what I say. <laughs> and we're, uni we're united in, my, in what I want. So I'm, I'm sure there's a word for that somewhere. I'm not a logician, so I, uh, I don't know all these things. But that's just, that's just a fallacy of relevance. Uh, uh, relevance. There's also fallacies of sufficiency. You know, so you, you have hasty, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have ten under fallacies of sufficiency. Another common mistake in induction is to fail to provide enough evidence to warrant the conclusion of the argument. That you have a little bit of a little bit of information and you have a huge generalization. And it, it's not nearly a, enough evidence to warrant the conclusion in the argument that you're that you're proposing. Hasty generalizations. Uh, we've used this quite a bit. Post hoc ergo propter hoc, uh, false cause. In other words, I I like. Uh, I'm trying to find an Onion article from when I was a kid. So it's from the 90s. I don't know if they have it archived that back, but. Uh, it was from the 90s, and the Onion article was um, AIDS epidemic linked to birth of 14-year-old boy. And it, <laughs> it was from the mid-90s, and it's like, here's a chart of when this boy was born and his age. And here's a chart of AIDS from, you know, it was like from mid-90s, from 1980 until the present. And it's like, it's irrefutable. This boy's birth caused the AIDS epidemic. That's a post hoc ergo propter hoc, right? Yes, that is. False cause, yeah. And uh, that is done. That type of argument is done so much. Mm -hmm. So, so much. Like, wait a minute. What, there's, what's the connection? You know, the connection is right in front of your face. See the two lines. Well, One goes up, the other goes up. There it is. It's easy to blast on... Uh the previous president because I think there was a lot of uh, fallacy in his arguments. But when he's like, I built the greatest economy the world's ever seen. And it's like, you've been president for six months, you know, and you're going to take credit for a line that looks like this. And then you become president and it goes like this. And like, that was me, you know, like everything that like the trend line I'm going to ignore that. And I'm just going to claim that because we're at the top of the mountain now, that's all because of things that I did. Right? I, I think in politics, you kind of have to do that, though. I think in everything, you have to do that. If you're the CEO of a company and one of your engineers, who's paid, well, you know, $100,000 a year, but he comes through with a breakthrough invention that allows you to become a market leader and you implement that invention into your technology, and you start outperforming your competitors, it was really that engineer that gave you the competitive advantage. But as CEO, you're going to say, under my watch, we developed uh, market-making technology, you know, that allowed us to beat our competitors. And it's like, was it really you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's that, again, that's done a lot. A lot of people do that. It's done every day. But when you come to politics, it's it's very different than, than other types of professions because uh, in politics, you're there to represent uh, your constituents. Uh, and so you mentioned like, well, everyone believes this, so it must be true. Uh, not necessarily, but that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to carry that banner because you're representing the people who believe that. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's it's tricky, it's very tricky uh, for politicians. Uh, 
you know, uh, you think, oh, I could be a leader, I could be a politician. You start thinking about what they do. It's very, very difficult uh, because you have your thoughts uh, and then you know your constituents that you're representing. Uh, and then because they, they're not in Washington, uh, everyone, wherever you're from, they're not there. They're not at the table. They're not hearing all the arguments on both sides. All they hear is what their little group says in their little community. And so they usually don't have all the facts. They don't have all the information, but you're supposed to represent what they think, what they say. It's, it's, it's a strange type of a profession. Uh, and the more I think about it, it, that would be extremely difficult. Therefore, I have a lot of respect <laughs> for people in Washington trying to represent uh, not only their, their constituents, but also trying to uh, uh, make a, a better union, a better country. So it's not so it's so it's easy to rag on them, but that's a they're in a tough place, mm-hmm. rock on a hard place. <laughs> yeah, it's like thing. for some a lot of these people, you could tell them the truth and lose your job, or say I'm representing you, so I'll allow you this lie if you let me keep my job. And that's I mean, if that's your life's work, you're like, well, do I? sort of tell people the truth and have it cost me everything I've worked for? Or do I just go along with the lie and I get to keep my job for the next 20 or 30 years? That's, it's a difficult choice. Yeah, another perspective on that, I'm sure they all think this, is that, wait a minute, uh, this is not true. Uh, but if I speak the truth, I'll lose my job and I'm not at the table. If I'm at the table then at least someone is there who knows what needs to be done. And so maybe I can do it. uh, But if I speak up too loud, too much, too quick, I won't be there. Mm -hmm. And someone else will come in who will not understand uh, the, the intricacies of how our government works. Yeah. And uh, we might move the wrong way, way too fast. And so, yeah, we need people at the table who can can bridge that gap and understand both sides and move us toward uh, a more perfect union. And and sometimes, so again, I respect the people. Uh, sometimes they'll say things that I disagree with, uh, but then again, uh, I respect their ability to try to do what's right for the country, uh, not, to, not to tear down the country. And I, you have to say, uh, again, sounds like I'm for the storming of the Capitol. I'm not. Uh, that was not right. Uh, and you can probably, whatever the reasons, uh, that that act is not right. Mm-hmm. You know. So you can argue, you can take all these arguments and really convince pe- people that that was legitimate. But actually tearing down our country is it's not right. Yeah. I mean, and then you look, ripple effects, it didn't happen here, I think, because we have strong institutions and we do have the rule of law and we have a court system and state attorneys generals who wouldn't play into the big lie. And as a result, I I feel like justice was done. The actual outcome was recognized. But you look at what happened in Myanmar this week and you wonder, of course, they've had issues for 30 years, 40 years, um, military juntas and democracy issues. and But they say, this outcome, the, as the military, we didn't really like it. So what we're going to do is take everyone that got elected and arrest them and say, as the military, we feel like there was massive voter fraud. So we're going to, to, elect, uh, to uh, arrest and detain all of your elected leaders. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's our plan for the time being and it's okay. And it's sort of been normalized by countries in the West. They've said it too. I mean, we didn't go as far as Myanmar did, but all you have to do is believe that there was uh, voter fraud to act on it. Cause that's what the president of the United States did.
uh, moving on, let's take a look at uh, the next one is slippery slope. And the slippery slope, it argues that a chain reaction, usually with some dire consequence, will take place. But there's not enough evidence to support that assumption. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, if you if you eat candy, you're going to die of type 2 diabetes or something. If you eat that one candy bar, you'll end up, uh, you know, getting fat and dying of type 2 diabetes. That's slippery slope. Um, are you okay? You good? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a whole bunch of these, uh, fallacies of sufficiency. I forgot my headphones. Mm -hmm. Probably the audio is better now. A little bit. Yeah. You weren't echoing or anything. So good, good. But yeah, slippery slope. Uh, I heard what you were saying. That's true. Uh, listening to the weak analogy, Appeal to authority, unqualified. Appeal to ignorance, begging the question. Posing two questions in one or hiding a question with a question. Complex questions. False dichotomy, to assert an exclusive disjunction when more alternatives are possible. Say, so it's kind of like either this or this. You know, there's more than that. Yeah. Uh, it's like the fallacy of uh, bifurcation, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And suppressed evidence. You don't really... You give some of the evidence, but not all the evidence. Yeah. So, so many of them. You could actually, you can probably go down each one of these and search not only politics, but also if you look at the uh, uh, marketing, advertising, I think a lot will have a lot of these fallacies too. And I think uh, the uh, uh, TV, television, uh, marketing uh they can bring up issues and say oh yeah that's clever that but you start thinking of the logic behind it he says wait a minute you're you're appealing to something very very different to these to either the the uh whatever age group demographics you're appealing to even children uh says that doesn't necessarily follow but i can see why the children would follow that mm -hmm. so there's so many of them so many of them um and then the fallacies of clarity ambiguity uh, equivocation, applying uh, different definitions to a single term in an argument. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, amphiboly, uh, drawing a conclusion from a grammatical ambiguity. You know, I, like that, that happens a lot. I mean, I think the to to <laughs> sort of give Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt, which. I'm loath to do because I don't think he was that great of a president, but he would say things and they'd be like, this is horrible. Uh, he obviously meant uh, he's a white supremacist that wants the Proud Boys to run the country, you know, and and his de de defenders would do the same thing on the opposite side. They'd say, no, when he said that uh, he wanted Rashida Tlaib and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to go back to their country... He meant the countries that their parents immigrated from <laughs> or something, you know, like he knows that they're from America, but he's just talking about how, you know, my, <laughs> I don't know how you defend that, but, uh, but I think there's a tendency to overblow it, even if it's bad. So things that weren't, I saw this a lot in the Trump administration, especially the late night guys, he would say things that were so outrageous that they didn't really have to do any riffing to to get to he's a bad guy. But then there were days where he'd say stuff that was mildly outrageous and they'd already established a baseline where he was a bad guy. So they had to take the mildly outrageous things he said and sort of put a little salt and pepper on them till they were just as outrageous as the other outrageous things he said. So they were sort of uh, spicing up. They were seeing what they wanted to see in his arguments, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're appealing to the to the audiences that they had. Mm -hmm. uh, and since we're on this subject, I'll just say I've mentioned this before to you and I'll just say it and then move on. Is that uh, when I watch the late night uh, talk show hosts and uh, they start uh, uh, making fun of President Trump and whether you like him or not, he's the president. Mm hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has the office of presidency and he's running our country and he's powerful. And uh, regardless of what he says or does, uh, I think he does deserve respect. And I think some of the uh, humor, uh, cross, if, in my in my view, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm old fashioned, but some of that humor crossed the line uh, in uh, ridicule that I think uh, was not helpful uh, to the officer to the country. Uh, you can criticize, but making fun of and and caricaturing people in in a as something that's that's negative, uh, I don't think is I don't think is good humor at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I I took issue at some of the some of the low humor uh, that's hurtful, uh, embarrassing, and uh, yeah, they did it, and it was embarrassing, but. I think he deserves respect because of the office he was in, not because of the person he was, mm-hmm. the offices he, he was in. Anyway, I've mentioned that before. But getting back to fallacies, uh, composition, asserting what's true of the parts must be true of the whole. Yeah. So uh, I think you see that with the Capitol riots. Those people, uh-huh. you know, when the president sends his civilian army to take the Capitol, He's not sending his best and brightest. There are conscientious, principled Republicans throughout the nation that were dismayed at what happened at the Capitol. And I think that there's a rush by the news media to say, do you see that guy without the shirt on and the tattoos and the horn uh, helmet? That is your average Trump voter. That guy is the median. And the, the fact of the matter is that's not true. No. Yep. That's a Republican for you. <laughs> there you go. That's a Republican for you. Yeah. That's all Republicans. Yeah. It's like when uh, Tucker, when the the protests and the violence and the property destruction was going on in Portland, and it was perpetrated by agitators on the left, and uh, Tucker Carlson would only call them either Antifa terrorists or Joe Biden voters. And it's like there's no evidence that I mean the thing about it is like the the people in Portland they weren't waving Joe Biden flags like the people at the Capitol were, but it's sort of like that person's on the left, therefore they must be a Joe Biden voter. And if you went and interviewed those people like the all gas no brakes guy did, they said we don't care about Joe Biden. We think he's just as bad as Trump. Like we're far enough left where we see that both of these guys don't represent our interests, and we want to tear down the whole system. So, you know, if you talk to them, they say, we don't like anybody. But if you're on the right, you say, they like the guy on the left. Uh, You know, they like the Democratic. And that's not true. But it's basically like, do you see that guy in the hoodie, you know, destroying property in your neighborhood? That's a Joe Biden voter. (laughs) That's your average Democrat. looks like that. That is, I mean, so we've seen it on, on both sides. You know, the Capitol riot, rioter isn't your average Trump voter. And the Antifa um, person causing trouble in Portland, rioter, the Antifa rioters in Portland, they're not your average Joe Biden voter. And I think it's wrong to to classify them as such. Well, the way I see that is the history of the United States. Well, the recent history of the United States, since World War II, uh, and also since the 50s and the 60s, since the uh, uh, the uh, the Test Ban Treaty and the Cold War, uh, then we have grown in power and so many countries hate America. They hate the United States and they want and they have pledged to take down the United States. Death to the Americans. So there are people out there who want this country to fall. And so what better way, and you can't beat it from the outside, we're powerful. So how can you beat something from the outside? You can't, it's too powerful. So how do you pull down this country? You destroy it from the inside. And so those people, where in the inside do you destroy it? You destroy it to the central core 
of our legislation, which is the Capitol. That's the core of our country. And uh, what I, I guess now I'm getting a little bit too serious here, but if we don't think our country can come down, then we better look at history because we can. And the unity is not agreeing with me or agreeing with you. It's coming together and saying we will not be defeated as a country. We may disagree, but our country is going to stand. Whatever you agree or I agree with or disagree on, uh, we have to agree and be united to bring our country forward. And our country is not going to go away Mm -hmm. because we do stand for liberty, justice and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, there's people who want to want to tear us down. And so and we have a free, open society. And so there are people in this country who want to tear us down, just like 9-11. Those those people did not come from outside. They were here in our country. Yeah. I mean, they were all foreign nationals in 9-11. They were. My point is. Well, you have they your did, Tim, you have your Tim McVeigh's, you have your capital stormers, you have yeah. your domestic terrorists in America. Yeah, but what I'm saying is 9/11, they were in our country. Mm-hmm. They didn't cross our border to do that. I mean, they didn't they didn't aggress on us. They were inside our country, and those people are here now. Yeah, I mean, and but but would you say that the real threat is from not foreign nationals? The real threat is from Americans that have been radicalized by, I'm looking at a, a fallacy right now, creating a false dilemma, the either or fallacy, in which a situation is oversimplified. Either you get, like you said, it's not about, unity is not about doing what one side wants, but that's how they're making it out to seem. If you don't accept Republican policies, this nation is doomed to an abortion clinic and a sex change operation clinic on every corner and no more morality. Or if you support, if you don't support a Republican, uh, if you don't support a Democratic opposition, everyone's going to have guns and all of your personal rights will be taken away. And it's like, uh, we're all Americans here and unity is sort of, I, I think unity, it's like you were saying, it's, it's acknowledging that we're all trying to do what's best for the country. And it's just that we have different ideas about how to get there. And though we may advocate for different policies, unity is when, by the rules devised in the Constitution by our framers, if we successfully implement a policy or successfully hold an election, we all agree that we're not going to lie about whether or not that violated the Constitution, you know? If something happens within the rules, even if we don't like it, we'll accept it because the people that pushed it through, we genuinely believe that they're trying to do what's best for the country. And we try to, you know, make their idea work. Well, what I was saying was that uh, there are, there's not one element. There are many elements in this country uh, that want to take us down. And some of them are, are moving to take us to take this country down without knowing it mm-hmm. like the temp okay uh but you can take them down in different places but when you attack the capital that's the core of our legislative body and uh, that's that crosses a line that's not just uh i think if you uh i forget who said this but uh Evil will be successful if enough good people don't do anything. Mm-hmm. There's a better way of saying that. But uh, I think when you cross the line, the fallacy of saying, oh, well, that's just like, no, it's not. Uh, that that crossed the line to something much more severe. Yeah, I see uh, on political YouTube videos as a quote, if you can get people to believe absurdities, you can get them to commit atrocities. I forget who said it. Let me see. I think maybe it's Voltaire. You never know when they have uh, quotes. Yeah, Voltaire. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of feel like that might have been what happened at the Capitol. And people say, look at Portland, you know, look at the Antifa. But they don't, I, I don't know, it's all wrong. It's it's all wrong. But the Antifa, they're not carrying Joe Biden flags in Portland saying, I'm going to destroy this property in the name of Joe Biden. What happened at the Capitol, those were explicitly people supporting one of our elected leaders uh, who lost an election. And so that's that's a little scary. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not coming down on either side. I'm saying there are those out there. There are those in this country. They don't care whether it's right, left, Republican, Democrat. They don't care uh, what they're about. They'll go over on the right and say, look at those left. We need to kick. We need to uh, assassinate all of them. And then the same people go over on the left and look at the right. We need to assassinate all of them. Mm-hmm. So there's people that are going on both sides and pitching us against each other, because if we can fight against ourselves, our country's coming down. And we have to come together to be united, say, no, I disagree with you, but in our rule of law, we're moving forward. And if we don't do that, uh, I'm just saying that don't think we can't come down because we can. And look at history. I think a student of history will look at this, and all great civilizations uh, can come down. I mean, I they think, will out, outlive themselves, and they will fall from within. I, I think you can make an argument. Maybe we came down 15 years ago. Come down. It's like it's not like one day you're America, the next day you're a, a pile of ash. I think that uh, 200 years spiral. from now, uh, well, 200 years from now, America will still be here. I think 200 years from now, America will still be one of the top 10 most prosperous nations in the world. Um, But we might be 10th. And that's difficult to imagine. Did we come down? Like, it's not like an overnight thing. It happens insidiously. And I think that you could say, don't think we won't come down. And that sort of says there's going to be a day where we're not the most powerful nation in the world. And we're, you know, uh, we go from number one economically to 50 economically overnight and militarily we go from number one to number 200 overnight like that 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 type of stuff doesn't happen there's inertia you know well i got i don't know if this is correct or not but i think of the roman empire Mm -hmm. the empire was massive okay but now can you see a roman empire no you see different states you see italy you see greece you know you see okay and so uh in europe do we see Europe as one country? No, we see all these different countries. We see the United States as one country. Uh, and 100 years from now, we might have uh, the state of New England, the state of Southeast, the state of the West, the state of the Central. We might have five different uh, uh, states with their own government. We're no longer a United State. We're like, a, a, a instead of a European Union, we may be American unit, an AU. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I'm saying is, you're right. Something will carry forward, but the United States, as we know it, if we if we don't force, if we don't focus on what is right, uh, the rule of law and unity, unity not agreeing with each other, I mean, not agreeing with me, but agreeing with uh, the direction we want to go, then we can be broken up into into states. Now, do you think? And, change the constitution because by 2040 70% of people in America will live in 15 states that means that 70% of the senators will represent 30% of the people that's literally what that means so is that just the way the framers decided it and we go with that forever well, you you have a political science background. I read somewhere in constitutional law that uh, constitution should be rewritten every, what, 100 years or something or 50 years. Or uh, I don't know if you learned that uh, when you were in school, but I read that somewhere that it was intended uh, to be 
redrafted uh, or changed over a period of time because the Constitution is for that time. And as times change, the Constitution has to re- be uh, adjusted for for the times as the times change, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good question. Maybe it should be changed. What do we want? Do we want a dictatorship? But I, 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 I don't think so. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, Trump was saying you can get the state legislatures to throw out the votes of the people and make me president again. And because of our institutions and because of the Constitution, that didn't really happen. But fast forward 40 years and you have someone to 2040 and you have someone smarter, more competent, less of a buffoon, um, someone that doesn't get toilet paper attached to his foot, someone that knows how to close an umbrella, you know, someone that is not just as uh, hungry for power, but also capable of wielding it. And they say, well, you know, uh, 35 of the states are under my control. They're under, and yes, that only represents 30% of the people. But constitutionally, I could stage a tyranny of the minority and stay in power forever because I have enough states to pass whatever legislation I want. That's kind of scary. What if one of our enemies, I'll say people who do not like the United States want to tear us down, come into the United States and achieve that, find a puppet who would do that, a strong person, but they have an alliance around him to do that. And they, and they, well, they've been trying to do that. And so that could happen. It is happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have such strong inertia, momentum, that we prevented it. But what happens, uh, I think what Trump has has revealed is that uh, we can't, there are elements within this country that can be tapped into to move toward what you're talking about, uh, something different than the country we've we've been living in. Or, I mean, it's, if you believe the rules, because some people say it's all about the Constitution. And, I mean, you're fine believing that, you know. Uh, But the Constitution is going to basically create a situation that's, especially in the Senate, that's undemocratic in two decades' time. Where 15% of all the people, or I mean, uh, 15 states house 70% of all the people. I mean, right now, if you take the blue states and the red states, the blue states are 70% of the economy. And so when Donald Trump says, I built the greatest economy in the history of the world, what he means is, my blue states built 70% of the greatest economy of the world, and the states that voted for me were responsible for the other 30%. And I think sort of framing everything as blue states and red states, uh, it plays into that division of we're not blue states and red states. We're the United States. We should all sort of be in this together. But I think that in the back of people's minds, they know that's just not true. We're not all in this together. There's an adversarial nature to our politics that you can sort of pretend like it doesn't exist or sort of have lofty rhetoric and say, we don't need to be divided. We need to be united. We're all Americans. But that belies the fact that there is a fair amount of division, ideological, cultural, economic. Uh, and just saying that you we should, we should abandon that division doesn't make it so. Yeah, good point. Well said. Well, we got away a little bit from... We got into politics. Yeah, it's so we, it's easy to keep a going. A little bit. It is easy to keep going. We got away from a little bit from the fallacies, but wow, there's so many. Uh, um, but politics is easy to to identify fallacies, but it's also very very important. Yeah. Because uh, because politics are important, and I think it's important to. I think. I think. Uh, I think the one thing that's required to be taught in school. I think is civics. I also think politics is a great place to find fallacies and the news, especially because the news is entertainment. It's not debate. You know, when they debate each other, they use fallacies because it's a short 
back of the envelope way of winning an argument, basically just sort of bringing public sentiment to your side. And you don't really need to use logic. No one's scoring it. So if you attack someone's person or, you know, you make a informal fallacy, you could win the argument in that three-minute segment because that's not real life. Uh, so looking at the news and politics, but I think that informal fallacies exist in the logic of movies, in the logic of television shows, in the logic of books that you read, in the logic of relationships that you have in your life and arguments that you have with people. Uh, you can find them using informal fallacies. You can find yourself using informal fallacies. And you have to ask yourself, like, am I using an informal fallacy because winning to me is more important than the truth? I think people use informal fallacies because they don't know they are. That's true. And it works. It works. Oh, that was effective. Okay. It's kind of like yesterday we talked about uh, uh, the uh, naked gun mm -hmm. and the umpire scene where he was he was uh, an umpire and he goes, strike. And everyone screamed and yelled, so, hey, that works. So let me just do that. <laughs> So I think a lot of times people use informal fallacies because it works. Yeah, it's a positive uh, feedback loop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they didn't know, oh, uh, it, that's an informal fallacy. Yeah, whatever. But it works. So I'm going to keep doing it, you know. I think that's usually what people will do, you know. And to study the informal fallacies like this, I think it's important, uh, especially when you move away from sports to something that really matters, you know, that, that has significant consequences, that we don't want to use the same logic that we used on, on a field of sport play. We don't want to use that same logic when we go to something that has real critical consequences. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to understand the difference between the two. I also think uh, some of these, especially ad hominem, this is a good one, that when you're arguing with someone... There's the merits of the argument, but there's also this whole uh, ar greater architecture of social, uh, especially like on a middle school schoolyard. And, you know, someone cheats at a game of ball in the schoolyard and you say, you cheated. Someone says, yeah, but you're stupid and you're ugly and you're fat. And everyone laughs and you lose the argument because they redefine uh, the argument, it's, I think you cheated at this game. And they say, I think that at middle school, your popularity is everything. So I'm going to make this about your a stupid face. And I'm going to win the argument because I'm changing what the argument's about. And I think that people, yes, on the middle school playground, that happens. But it also happens in the halls of Congress and on cable network news television. And so important people realize that at some level, you can change the game. It's like on that show Mad Men, Don Draper, uh, when things would go wrong, he would always say, if you don't like what they're saying, change the conversation. That was his line. And so I yep. think you can also see, you can get tunnel visioned when someone drags you into an argument and you want to think about it in terms of the logical precepts and the deductive uh, aspects of the argument, that they may not be playing by those same rules. So you have to be careful of that when you get dragged into that argument. Mm-hmm. So we and, made... Uh, oh, go, it go works. Ahead. It does. Because, because it works. Because it works. You, you can't be successful that way, and people have been successful that way. Yeah, we've gone over an hour. Yeah, I think I just want to close. I want to tell you a story because I thought of this yesterday. It's a little okay. quote I came up with. We did our podcast in the morning, and then I went for a walk. And uh, we used to uh, talk when I was on my walk. But uh, now we talk, and then I'll walk in silence. And, you know, you're sort of there with your own thoughts. It becomes meditative for me. You hear the, the babbling brook near my house and the crunch of my feet on the gravel. And I'm walking yesterday. And um, you have more time with your own thoughts. And I think to myself, it was a nice day, too. That helped. It was 65 degrees here in Denver. And I said to myself, man, I love this. I just sort of looked around and, you know, where I was and what I was doing. And, and, uh, and it sort of dawned on me because I wasn't talking. I was sort of just alone with my own thoughts. That Like, I enjoyed the podcast yesterday morning. I enjoyed my walk. But it was more than that. Like, I loved... 
I love the walk. I love the podcast. And it's, I think it's important in life to have moments where you can reflect and say, I love what I'm doing. That's, and so I came up with a thing because, because I wasn't talking, I wasn't trying to accomplish anything. So uh, my phrase was uh, in stillness and silence comes gratitude. And the funny thing is I wasn't being still, I was walking and it wasn't silent. I heard the brook and my rocks, but it was sort of, if you can be within yourself, there's a good chance you can be thankful for the things in life that you hold dear. That's my closing thought. That's a good one. That's very true. I agree. Um, so can we close it there and just say, hey, try to find something that you love. And if you love it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think uh, the podcast is talking and, and also listen, you know, keep on talking, but listen as much as you talk, uh, because listening to people uh, is healthy. It's good. It's not just talking. You got to listen to. And I think the stillness, you know, there's uh, the uh, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And that's really true. So the Bible so, got to it before me. Yeah, they got to it before you. But I, <laughs> no, I think you realized it. I think one thing is hearing it. The other thing is realizing it. That's true. I think I think you realized it and you owned it and you experienced it and it become yours. And so, no. That's your saying. Other other people can have this saying, but now that's your saying, mm -hmm. and I like and I like that. That's really really true. Uh, in uh, gratitude, is a consequent of the logical that we're talking about. In solitude, and what is it again? In, in solitude, stillness and in silence comes gratitude. In stillness and silence comes gratitude. So if you can, uh, sort of stop the frenetic motion of your life and sort of stop the crazy voices in your life, you may find something that you're doing something or something's happening that you, you really love. And the fact that you're doing something that you love, you should be thankful for that. Yep. Yep. Move the weeds so you can see the beauty of nature. That's right. So is that a good place to stop? It's a good place to stop. All right, until tomorrow, it's been fun hanging out. Uh, we'll talk to you guys on the next episode. Uh, bye. We'll see you. Yep. See you. Bye. <laughs> we got to have a better ending. <laughs> Keep on.